This is realestateinvestingmastery.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. So glad you're here. Uh, this is an exciting day. I mean, Alex has a brand new microphone. How are you doing, Alex? I am awesome. You sound awesome. <laughs> no, it's awesome. Uh, it's good. Uh, we're trying to provide the best content we possibly can. And, you know, little things like really high-tech microphones really make the world a difference. So listing is easier and money-making is easier and everybody's happy. So, so we... we <laughs> <laughs> we we hope this works. We'll find out, I guess, soon enough. So cool. Listen, guys, go to realestateinvestingmastery.com to get a bunch of really cool free bonuses. We're going to teach you on that fast cash survival kit how to wholesale properties, how to flip lease options, all the marketing that Alex and I are doing day in, day out, the marketing that works. And uh, we also talk about virtual assistants and how to outsource uh, as much as you can in your business. Alex and I literally outsource 75, 85% of our business. Um, but there's a few things that we don't. And we talk about that in, this, um, in these free bonuses. And we talk about um, things that you, want, you don't want to outsource. You want to make sure that you're doing yourself. So it's really cool uh, free videos and mind maps and PDF downloads. If you haven't gotten it already, go to realestateinvestingmastery.com and check it out. And leave us a review in iTunes. Uh, we've got some funny reviews. Are yeah. we going to go over one or two of those? <laughs> let, me, let me open it up here and I'll read it. Um, give me a second. But Alex, talk about uh, what's been going on in your business lately. Well, I've um, been doing some deals, got some deals I'm negotiating right now um, on the retail side. So we rehabbed them and right now we're in negotiations. Um, one of them actually, and I might have mentioned this on the previous podcast, um, came back and off, uh, one offered straight off the bat $2,000 over a list, which is great. So, nice. And no home inspection. So I, you know, I've never seen that before. So I'm um, very thrilled about that. Um, this other deal I've been working on, like I said, um, we've had some issues with it in the home inspection because the inspector, we got, you know, Mr. Crazy Home Inspector two times in a row, two different ones, called out two different things, never mentioned the same things on each home inspection. And we're negotiating that deal right now. And um, I think we're coming to a wrap on it. But um, yeah, and we'll talk more about the exact way of... Um, of or the 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 um, the situation that is with uh, with our special guest here, but um, it's going to be a question of you know when do you dig in and hold on to that last twenty five hundred dollars that you're trying to get on the deal, or do you say, well, I'm making thirty five thousand. What is thirty seven five? Why don't I take my thirty five thousand and run now, or do I dig in and try to get that extra twenty five hundred bucks? Yeah. So. Um, yeah, so things are good. Negotiating deals, uh, flipping some wholesale deals, and um, rolling along business as usual, man. I got three deals on wholesaling right now, and I'm really excited about. Um, I'll probably net, let's see, 10, 13. I'll net about sixteen, seventeen thousand $17,000 on these homes. And uh, there's, we talked about this earlier. Um, 
there's there's a ton of cash coming back into the market. And one of the things I want to ask Matt about our guest today is what he's seeing in St. Louis in the Midwest um, as far as investors coming back into the market and buying these properties. Um, it's, there's some pretty cool things happening now. Um, you know, when I was in Prague, we flipped two deals, I think maybe three, but the third one I think happened after I got back. I'm not sure. I'll have to check on that. But while I was in Prague for two months, we actually flipped a couple deals in St. Louis, which is really awesome. That and, is awesome. Yeah. So you can literally do this business from anywhere in the world with just a computer. And um, that's the awesome thing about it. But let's read a couple reviews here because those of you who like this show, um, we appreciate it if you would go and leave us a review on iTunes. Now, if you don't like the show, then don't leave us a review, please. <laughs> We're looking for good reviews because it helps in our iTunes rankings. But we have 110 uh, five-star reviews. Well, the average of all of the 110 reviews looks like a five-star from the iTunes rating system here. But we got a couple bad ones in there. And, and uh, we, we appreciate all of the comments, even the bad ones. A but couple bad ones? We do, yeah. Yeah. What are they saying? They say we're just selling stuff because we sell stuff all the time, although yeah. we have nothing for sale. Uh, yeah. Do you want me? To, you really want me to read them? <laughs> um, just maybe one, and then if I don't cry, you can maybe read another one. All right. If you have seen an infomercial, you know the script. This is not real estate investing. It is contract flipping. Real estate investing involves long-term horizons and an asset that produces cash flow. Do yourself a favor and pass on this one and ignore all the positive self-reviews. Wow. Oh, that person's like out with yeah. a vendetta or something. And they did, <laughs> of course, they did not leave their name. Yes. And I'm yes. looking at another two-star review. No, it's a three-star review. And, of course, they did not leave their name as well. But... What you can do for us, guys, if you like the show, go look at those bad comments. And there's a thing in iTunes that says, was this review helpful, yes or no? And uh, just click the no button. And then it, and then it, hopefully maybe if you get enough no's, it goes away. No, but I'm just kind of joking. Um, we, we do appreciate the reviews, any and all of them, and, and we, we like them. We got a funny one here from this guy named Dan Rowe. Dan Rue from California. The Shizzle. So the, the shizzle. The schnitt. <laughs> the schnitz for RE junkies, new and old, five-star reviews. He says, this is uh, <clears throat> a little hurtful here, but I can I get over it because the rest of it's funny. <laughs> Joe can sometimes be monotone in his delivery. Oh. Yeah, I thought, oh, no. But the content he packs into the podcast is fizzizzle. Fizzizzle. Is the fizzizzle. <laughs> Alex, when he's paying attention. Wow. He comes at, he hits us at different angles here. <laughs> when he's paying attention and in the mix, he delivers the two in the Muay Thai, whatever that is. Mu Muay Thai. Muay Thai, yes. Okay. Remember, I do Muay Thai kickboxing, I so maybe that he's coming back to that. I am as white as they come here. I'm, I'm trying to get through this here. <laughs> One, two, punch. They deliver. So if you're going to listen to this podcast, keep your pants and shirts on because Joe and Alex may not have theirs on. Wow. <laughs> I think the show should be sponsored by the makers of Underoos because when you least expect it, the guests tell you that they too sit around and do deals in their Hanes. <laughs> I don't wear Hanes. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank goodness they do this stuff virtually 
and show and tell you how to do this stuff from the comfort of your desk chair. They really lead by example and are genuine homies. Just listen. They're contagiously addictive, and you may make a buck or two in the process. Cheers, wow. gentlemen. That is the best review I've ever, ever read. That is awesome. That was great. That was very funny. And for the record, I do have my shirt and shorts on right now. Yeah, right. I do. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I hope our guest does as well because he's probably calling from his office. But enough of that. Leave us a review on iTunes. We appreciate it. And let's see if anybody can come up with something funnier than uh, Dan Rue in California. Thanks for that, Dan Rue. It's awesome. Um, we have a guest today, uh, Matt Shreves um, from St. Louis. I've known Matt for a while now. He is an investor at heart, um, but he's also a realtor. And believe it or not, you can be both. And uh, Matt has been very successful in real estate the last few years. And uh, he actually runs quite an operation with Keller Williams. And uh, I wanted to get him on here for a long time, and he's graciously agreed to uh, let us interview him. And we have some questions we want to ask him, and uh, we want to find out about kind of how he got started in real estate and how can you actually, how can you make money as a realtor doing the investing game? Um, I've always recommended to people to get your realtor's license. I'm working on getting mine. I've been working on getting mine for a couple of years now, but I'm really close. In fact, I have, I have six months from when I took the original test and I took the test in uh, April 1st. So that means I have until October, uh, which is about four months from now, five months um, oh, wait, yeah, three months. So I better hurry up. I better hurry up and do that. But Matt, how are you doing, man? Doing well, guys, doing well. I appreciate you having me, and I loved, uh, felt like I was uh, at the front row of a Lakers game or something, uh, sitting on the call here, uh, listening to you guys kind of warm up and do the intro. You guys are fun, man, laid back, and have a good time with it. <laughs> well, thanks. Appreciate yes, that. Yes, Joe's like Kobe. <laughs> Behind the back passes. <laughs> and who's the white guy for, with the Dallas Mavericks? Jason Kidd. Monotone banner. Jason Kidd isn't white, is he? Yeah. Okay, who's the the tall white guy from Russia? Dirk Nowinski. Dirk. Yes. Alex is the Dirk Vaginsky. <laughs> what is that podcast? Mean? Um, hey, so tell us about your story, man. How long have you been? What were you doing before real estate? How about that? For real estate, man, I tell you what, I wasn't uh, wasn't doing a whole lot. I was in, uh, I went to college, and then I actually, when I got out of college, I uh, worked a little bit for a family business, which is the automotive business here in St. Louis. I had a short stint as a, dare I say, as a major medical uh, health insurance salesman, which I was not a fan of. Uh, didn't enjoy even admitting that. Not there was anything wrong with doing that. Yeah. Just wasn't a fit for me. Um, my uh, mom, I kind of grew up around real estate. My mom was licensed way early on in the 1980s and, you know, primarily got her license, you know, the typical reason to maybe help some friends, but really more than anything, to uh, buy investment property. And she bought a number of properties, um, basically using her commission at closing. And, uh, you know, so I've kind of always been around that and, you know, knew in one way or the other that's something that I wanted to be a part of. And... Uh, you know, after I realized that the insurance thing wasn't for me, I said, hey, man, I think it's time to get into real estate and uh, got into it. As you kind of said uh, at the, uh, the start of us speaking here, I think you're right. I always had kind of that investor mindset. Um, and although I didn't start out investing, I got, you know, I went into more of a retail representing buyers and sellers. 
you know, shortly thereafter, got into, uh, you know, buying and selling real estate personally and, and, uh, just kind of been going with it ever since, man. So that's, that's just a real, uh, brief synopsis there. Well, when did, what, how, how many years ago did you get your license? Got licensed in 2000 and actually started out in Austin, Texas. And, um, I, man, Sorry you know, I, I was, you guys are going to be so excited and your listeners will be so pleased that they're about to get another 20 minutes of this. My first year in real estate, I actually, I made a, a, a astounding sum of money, I made it a whopping $1,300 my first full year in real estate wow. sales. And, um, you, you know, probably retired, didn't you? At that point, I really considered it, you know, but I thought, man, I might be able to double that next year and I'd really be in, in some good shape there. But, uh, but the reality situation was my sphere of influence were, were renters and basically drinkers. I didn't have, I didn't really, so I didn't have a sphere of influence to speak of down there. Um, uh, my family, um, you know, wanted me to come back home. Uh, you know, we're close knit, uh, you know, close knit family. And, um, you know, I wasn't having, I wasn't having success down there. I mean, I was doing a lot of homework, doing a lot of, you know, researching things. So I learned a lot, but I wasn't closing deals. And, uh, you know, my brother called me one day and he's got a great way of making, you know, things, you know, taking the complex, making it easy. And he said, Hey man, I, I can, I know what you're trying to do down there. Uh, I see it. You got one or two options. You can stay down there and plant that tree and water it and, and grow it for 20 years and then start picking fruit or you can come back home and start picking fruit. And I said, man, that seems to make sense to me because that 1300 bucks, uh, is not cutting it. Yeah. Um, at the time I was kind of falling in love with my wife, I was dating her. We'd opted to move back to St. Louis, got into real estate here, um, in 2001. And, you know, um, for six months I made 3000 bucks. So I was doing better. Uh, first full year of 2000, I basically, uh, bought a coaching, uh, program, kind of business in a box and started to follow systems and models and, you know, uh, marketing and, and those type of things started attracting business my way and basically, um, really just took off from there. Um, you know, brought in more business I could handle, grew a team and, and kind of did those type of things. Very cool. Cool. So what, um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was distracted with some, something going on upstairs. The, um, when did you start, what made you start getting interested in, in investing in that side of the business and realizing that you could make a lot of money, um, flipping properties or doing long-term buy and hold, things like that? You know, it's a, a great question. A number of different things. I mean, one, as I said, my, you know, my family and really just modeling, you know, watching my, you know, my mom, uh, you know, my parents is buying and invest in real estate. Um, you know, and just when I was young, I was mowing the lawns of those yards and, you know, doing things, you know, to maintain them. So, you know, been around it. Um, there was that and really, you know, um, probably for like a lot of people, man, reading Kiyosaki and Rich Dad, Poor Dad and, and the cash flow quadrant and really understanding that, you know, where I wanted to be and my, my vision very early on was to be, you know, to own oil wells as really? opposed to not, not literally, obviously, of course I would buy one if I could, um, you know, but instead of working uh, transactionally, which is probably the downside, I think, to, to traditional real estate, you know, I wanted to be able to own businesses or properties or investments that, you know, I would work up front on, then they would continue to pay me over time. So that was always my objective. And, um, you know, I saw single family uh, residential real estate is, is a great way to do that. And, um, you know, so that's kind of where I started. And I've just a little bit like you, Joe, at the, what you mentioned at the top of the call, I mean, I've done a little bit of everything. Um, 
you know, done a lot of lease options, a lot of uh, buy, improve, and sell, you know, a lot of uh, buy and hold, buy, improve, and hold, you know, done some wholesaling um, and things like that. So, you know, done a, little bit, done a little bit of it all, but the idea was to invest, hold over time, create equity, and have it pay cash flow. Good. What do you um, what are you doing now these days, Matt? You're um, pretty active in Keller Williams, is that right? Yeah. Now, uh, in 2000, I opened. Uh, let's see here, uh, first joined uh, Keller Williams in 2005. That fall was a, a first agent over in, in a launching a market center. There was one Keller Williams in St. Louis at the time. Uh, was a first agent over. Helped you know build that business. Um, today, it's the most productive office in the state of Missouri. Uh, number one in terms of, of volume. Um, uh, in 2008, had an opportunity to be a part of uh, an investment group launching the second Keller Williams in the fall of 2008. Man, that was a, I can tell you guys, that was a great time to open a real estate company. Um, that was yeah. right when the whole economy was going off the cliff. Right. right. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that worked out well and um, opened another one last year in Chesterfield. So, between those three uh, offices last year in 2011, we did about 2,500 uh, transactions. 2,500. So you're a you're, lot of real estate transactions. You're not the broker, but you're you're um, one of the owners of the brokerage. Is that right? Is that how it works? Yeah, with Kellum, you can wear a number of different hats. Uh, uh, with each one of them, an investor in the market center. Um, you know, and it's. In similar concept to invest in anything else. Um, essentially, what I would say is a more a leadership side of things. So we really don't talk about management. That's not a word that we use because we don't believe you can manage people. You know, you can lead people. People can manage themselves, but you can't really manage people. You manage things. Um, so, you know, in 2009, um, I got an opportunity to kind of take over one of the offices, the one in St. Charles, and uh, basically made a conscious decision to kind of shut down my uh, real estate business the sales aspect and switch more to business development for Keller Williams. And um, I've been doing that ever since. And I, to be clear, I've not been actively listing and selling properties, although I have continued to, you know, buy and sell, you know, personal investment properties and things like that. So what percent of your business, Matt, or your time maybe is spent on doing deals, investment deals, either buying or holding or rehabbing, flipping, um, versus yeah. more of the traditional real estate business management side? You know, right now, very little of it um, because I spent a lot of time um, acquiring properties and, you know, right now they're paying. Um, you know, I just keep my eyes peeled and basically uh, I'm, at this point in time, I'm just very, very picky unless I, you know, can flat out, you know, steal a house essentially. Um, I'm not interested in it. So you know, with the inventory that's out there in St. Louis, um, with the areas that I'm looking, you can afford to be that way. And uh yeah. You know, what my focus on now and has been for the past few years, and it may not be for everyone, it works fine for me, is just buying, you know, uh, two, three-bedroom houses in, you know, um, low-end areas. I mean, you know, I'm looking at a, buying five, $6,000 houses that need a few thousand bucks worth of work or maybe buying them for 10 that are pretty much ready to go other than a little little, little touch-up. And, you know, you put yourself a five, six, uh, $650 renter in there a month, 500 and, you know, buy those all cash and, you know that's a much better way to go. Uh, I'll tell you real quickly here. I uh, you can actually do uh, that in St. Louis, Matt. I know the answer to this, but oh yeah, okay. No, no so, question about it, man. Did you hear no those question. numbers, guys? Matt is, and I see this all the time. It's amazing to me. He's picking up homes at five, ten thousand dollars, putting 
a few thousand into them and renting them out. These are two or three bedrooms. These were like in a scale of A to F, you know, A being really, really nice and F being really, really bad. Where is this like, are these like area properties in the C and D neighborhoods, Matt? Yeah, I would say definitely um, C and D would be a good, good explanation. Definitely not a war zone area or any of those type of things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, although I bought and sold a few in those type of areas, but now these areas, you know, they're, they're what, you know, people would consider probably not the most desirable areas, but, you know, very safe, you know, during the day and even the night. Um, you know, and I just, I think they're just good people there. You know, you, you, there's lots of good people who just want to live in a house. And, and what I like about that particular, you know, uh, section of the market is that typically if you, if you just do a little bit of research, you can find a tenant who basically never wants to move out of your house. Yeah. I mean, they tell you up front, I don't, I wouldn't be, I've had, I can't tell you how many times in the past couple of years, they said, I, I, I said, so are you looking to, you know, how I screen them is, you know, you know, are you looking to stay just a year? Are you looking for something longer? What are you thinking? And, oh, you know, I, I wouldn't be moving right now if my landlord didn't get foreclosed on. Mm. I would never want to move again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and so essentially, you know, um, you, you get one tenant and you're going. It doesn't always work out that way, but that's what, that's what I'm kind of looking for. You know, I flipped a property in an area. Uh, if you're familiar with St. Louis, it's, it's in an area of Jennings. And uh, oh, yeah. there's some good areas there and there's some bad areas. But what's amazing is this was an area, it's like a little pocket. It's like a little haven in this area that is really, really nice. All the lawns are really nice, nicely kept. They're all brick homes. And it's a neighborhood that I'd feel comfortable living in, believe it or not. Um, I mean, I don't mean that in a negative way. I, I don't mean that in a negative way. But it... Um, it was a really nice neighborhood, and I could tell that there was a lot of pride in home ownership from the people that lived there. And when we advertised that house, do you know how much interest we got into that thing? We got tons of calls, which goes oh. to show you, you have to know your market, drive the neighborhoods, and, and there are pockets inside of these bad or rough neighborhoods that are very good areas to invest in, all right? There's no question. What I would say to that is I would say buy into demand. So I always think of it as like a triangle. And at the bottom of the triangle, you've got, you know, two, three, four, five hundred dollars people, people who can afford, you know, four hundred dollars a month at the very bottom. Obviously, you, get the, you know, a large number of people can, you know, afford that. And then at the top of the triangle, I've got to get a new example for this. But what I always used to say is, you know, at the top, you've got Albert Pujols and his five million dollar house. Yeah, that's not very few people can afford the five million dollar house. Um, you know, lots and lots and lots and lots of people can afford that, you know, um, four or five hundred dollars. Uh, so if you're looking at properties at that $500 a month mark, you've got a huge pool of prospective tenants and it's a supply and demand game. And, you know, then you're, you know, then you're using that to your advantage. And obviously the more people you can drive to there, you know, get you a higher quality tenant, you get to select, you know, that person who's maybe not going to be there just a year or what have you. And I think that's key versus, you know, what was doing a few years ago for the bottom fell out you know, buying houses at the 120 to 150 mark and asking for 13, 14, 15, 1600, you know, a month in the lease option, man, very hard. You know, it's, it's these days that's, you, you're just not gonna be able to find them out there. They're not paying that. So, um, yeah, that's a strategy adjustment I made and it's, it works. So just a general rule of thumb, you're talking about maybe being 10 to $15,000 into one of these houses. Is that right, Matt? For me personally, where I am now is it is ten thousand or less all in improvements. The whole nine yards is where I want to be. Okay, um, ten thousand. You're all in, and and those deals are um, you have to you have to hunt for those deals, especially in the neighborhoods that you're talking about. But they're there. Um, 
Well, uh, you know, how about this? There's the five and six thousand dollar houses are everywhere, and then you know, like you said, they're maybe going to need more than that additional five, ten, fifteen. They need a lot. You, as you said, Joe, astutely, you know, all you got to do is just be patient, and then you can find the one that's basically got all. I'm looking for the newer systems, all the hard and work and the expensive stuff's been done, and you're just putting carpet and paint in, and you're good to go. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So let's say you're getting what's an average rent on that? Five hundred dollars. Five hundred all day long. All right. So let's take out thirty-five percent for taxes, insurance, vacancies, repairs. Is that fair? Yep. Okay. Five hundred times point sixty-five. You're net cash flowing about three hundred, three hundred and fifty dollars on each of these houses. Correct. All right. You know what the ROI, where you're. I guess that would be your cash on cash return if you're using your own cash. Let's take 325 times 12 divided by the 10,000 that you have into this thing. You're looking at a 39% cash on cash return on these properties. And I'm not bumping that number up with uh, things like tax deductions, uh, principal pay down, appreciation, things like that. Imaginary numbers, as it were. That's cold. In fact, hard. I would say the thirty-five is probably rounded up. So I mean, that's probably even better than that. But I, I think I like to be conservative as well. So I, I agree with your uh, assessment. Yeah. So let's say you bought. Let's say you had two hundred thousand dollars in an IRA, and so you went out and bought twenty of those homes, and your net cash flow is three hundred twenty-five on each of them. That's sixty-five hundred dollars a month that you're pocketing in hip pocket National Bank. Now, 20 houses is a lot, and that, once you get into that realm, you know, you, you to think about, start thinking about property management, of course, but, um, I mean, I'm already taking numbers out for property management. We're already taking out money for vacancies, repairs. Um, I love it, because what kind, of, how can, what kind of stocks or mutual funds can you buy that gives you that kind of return? I, I don't know of any. Forget about it. No. Not happen. And, you know, and even if you're buying properties at twenty-five or fifty thousand dollars, that maybe rent for nine hundred to a thousand, those deals are out there, and um, so very cool. So you're you're buying you're buying these homes, you're picking them up. Um, I I imagine you have some kind of goal or uh, a strategy. And before to... we answer the question, Joe, can I just jump in and just comment on the, what yeah. you said previous to that? Yeah. yeah. A couple things to think about. Um, number one is, let's say an example you gave, 20 properties owned and then 6500 a month in cash flow. Um, where you begin to, where one begins to grow exponentially is to think about this. What if you took that 6500 a month in cash flow and bought yourself another property every month? Or, mm -hmm. you know, let's just say you're going to go a little higher end and every two months you buy, you know, uh, a property for 13000 So now your machine is producing another six properties annually for you that produce another 3000 bucks yep. a month. And the point is you can just, and it's just how big do you want to go? Um, the, the reason side note here that I sort of look at that strategy is I had a cop, uh, like one of the biggest single family homeowners when I was uh, working with, uh, doing the retail side of things and investors come to me and said, Hey, I've got a hundred properties. I want to, you know, want to sell them. This is right when the market was kind of going South and, you know, I tried to get my investor group, or I got my investor group through there. And, and when I looked at the books on them, you know, they were leveraged to the hills and essentially had a hundred properties all around town and their cash flow when everyone was paying was 10,000 a month. 
and they had like something like a hundred thousand dollars in accounts receivable in terms of rent and all that stuff. And I, I it hit me like a ton of bricks, man. And at that time, my goal was to probably like a lot, a lot of other people, man. I want to own a hundred of these. I want to own, uh-huh. you know, all this big thought. Uh-huh. And what I realized real quickly is, man, that's less is more. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't you rather have how many headaches come with a hundred, you know, rental properties um, that are just standard, you know? So I thought, what well, what if I got 10 properties that brought me in a thousand a month and I owned them free and clear. I yep. mean, you know, essentially same re- cash flow, a tenth of the headaches. So that's when I started to look at the all cash operation as opposed to, you know, your uh, highly leveraged, you know, um, a lot of mortgages and things like that. And your cash flow on a hundred dollars a month. That's, you know, no good. A tenant moves out, you got two months from that in, you've you got expense going out. Not having the, you know, the free and clear property on these lower end, you're just responsible for your taxes and things like that. So it's, it gives you a lot more flexibility and allows a lot more room for error, essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah, know, a lot of people you know, killed themselves by over-leveraging on properties. Um, and, and, I mean, the free and clear way is really the best way to do it. And, I mean, it seems like you've really got that down. I, I actually just went and bought um, in my area on you know very you know very much lower end area property for ten thousand um, dollars that you know I can put maybe twenty thousand into it'll be you know and it's probably worth about sixty to seventy but we'll rent with section eight you know eight hundred fifty a month so nice. that's uh, awesome yeah that's awesome are you planning on keeping that Alex? I'm going to see how I do, um, but I'm thinking, you know, $850 a month, uh, I, I guess I could call that hammock income, you know, I'm not doing too much, especially if the government is sending me a check every month. Right. Well, the cool thing with, you know, we, um, Matt, Alex, and I talk a lot about wholesaling on this podcast, and one of the things that um, people need to start doing with the profits they're making from wholesaling deals to start thinking about number one, paying off your debt, getting rid of your debt. And number two, instead of getting into new debt and leveraging, using leverage to buy rental properties, start using that cash and just start buying cash flowing rental properties. The coolest thing about owning a rental property without any debt is if it's vacant, you're not really losing any money. Okay, you're not making any money when it's vacant, but you're not losing any money. And and you're gonna save yourself a lot of stress. I mean, you, know, you and I know, Matt, guys here in St. Louis who have tons of properties and are, oh, yeah. if they haven't lost them all already, are about to because yeah. they're complete. They have, they, even though the rental market's strong, they have so many vacancies with these things. No, and then I couldn't agree with more. That would eat you up, man, in a heartbeat. And um, there's just no, no question about it. Uh, you know, enough said. I mean, it's, 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 it makes it, that's what I'm saying, room for error. It, if you're newer or make mistakes, or even if you're, you know, very good, life happens. Things pop up. You're not able to get to stuff when you need to, um, you know, as quickly as you'd like to all the time. And it just, it allows for, um, you know, much more flexibility um, for sure. Um, no doubt about it, man. The other thing I wanted to say is, you know, uh, look at this velocity of money. You, you talk about the return. You know, the idea for myself is um, thinking that 39% return that'd take approximately two and a half years, let's say, to take the money you invested, one invest in a asset. And then the idea is how quickly can you get all that capital back and then still retain the asset? And then basically you just repeat, let's go get another asset. And then as quickly as possible, get that initial outlay back while retaining the asset. And then that's how someone could take in theory, if their limit is 10,000 in the investing approach we're talking about, 
you know, how quickly can you take that 10,000 and just turn it? How many times can you turn it in a given period of time? And, um, you know, that's what Kiyosaki, Kiyosaki calls the velocity of money. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's that's all, what we're trying it's to It's all about turn turning it. the money. Turning the money is the key. And, and that's the same thing with rehabbing, too. You know, if you've got, you know, 100 or 200 grand to work with, it's how fast can you turn that 200,000? And I, I guess that's almost could lead into a little bit of what we were talking about, you know, what I mentioned earlier about, um, you know, digging in your heels for that last $2,500 or do you, you know, or, or do you uh, sell it right away? But I, I, I guess we'll get to that in a little bit. Well, yeah, while we're talking about these properties, Matt, that you have, what are some of the things that you do to find these properties? Are you looking to find them on the MLS? Are you doing any kind of marketing to sellers? What are you doing? Yeah, it's a great question, uh, Joe. I would say, you know, just kind of giving a little historical perspective, you know, before the shift in the market four, five, six years ago, I mean, I don't know if you guys would agree, uh, it seemed to me like the kiss of death for an investment property was it being on the MLS. You know, I mean, I remember the uh, the foreclosures that were on there were HUD properties, and a lot of times because of the bidding system, I remember the, these things were beat up and doors falling off the hinges and everything else would sell above market because they got a great marketing system, you know, there to, to get the top dollar. Um, so that way, you know, you talk to an investor, oh, it's been on the MLS, they don't have interest. Nowadays, you know, you really don't need to look any further in St. Louis, and I, I would imagine in a lot of areas, than the MLS with bank-owned properties. Um, in my personal, that's the easiest, easiest way to start out. Um, in terms of marketing, though, and getting in and trying to find some of those other deals, um, you know, I just like postcards um, targeted to a given area. Um, like absentee owner have done, you know, well with that, um, you know, and really just kind of word of mouth, um, you know, word of mouth, getting relationships uh, with people who live on the ground in the areas you're looking for and let them know what you're looking to do. Um, so I guess it's like anything else. Um, diversity builds stability. So if you have one source of finding properties and that goes away or dries up, you're kind of in trouble. If you've got five or six or seven sources, each doing a little bit, if one of them goes away or seasonally doesn't work for you or what have you, then you've got others to rely on. Um, does, that, does that make sense? Yeah. So, um, you, But I would say right now, the, yeah. easiest, the easiest number one place to start is the MLS on foreclosures. And you just make offers. That's not very with, exciting. You make, <laughs> well, we wanted something more sexy, more uh, like this is a top secret stuff, don't tell anybody. But it doesn't have to be that complicated, right? It, it doesn't, but I will give you a little tip that I utilize as a realtor. I think Alex, you'll like this. Even though I'm a licensed agent and I know what I'm doing when it comes to writing, writing, you know, buying real estate and all that stuff, writing it up. Um, the approach I use is, and hopefully this will help your listeners, is I, you know, I call up the agent on a property when I like it and I say, hey, I'm a licensed agent. Um, you know, I'm calling about this property. However, I'm not, you know, looking to represent myself, you know. Uh, if I'd like to, if I move forward with it, I'd love for you to represent me. Is that something you'd be open to? Yep. And, you know, I've gotten more properties by having the listing agent and someone says, well, you can save 800 bucks or 500 bucks or whatever. My question is, can you really? Because I can give you several instances where there was a multiple offer on the property. You know, the, the, the REO agent is not making a lot on the one side of the deal. So it behooves them in a major way to double end. And, you know, if you're going into a multiple offer situation, you know, obviously they're going to do what, you know, they're going to do whatever they can legally and ethically to help you secure that property if they're representing you. Plus, 
you know, it also, you know, then you encourage them, hey, this is now you know what I'm looking for. Anything else that comes in your inventory or, or you get you get a call from the bank and they want a major price, you know, price drop, then, um, you know, hey, I'd love, a, I'd love you to call me on that. So, you know, I, you know, I'm not saving money by negotiating and doing all that myself. I always want to work with that agent let them get both sides of the deal and then they're motivated to help see the deal through and then to bring other opportunities. Excellent. Now, when you're making offers, do you go view the properties before you make offers on them or do you just go by pictures on the MLS and your familiarity with the neighborhood? Uh, probably, I mean, I do both. Probably, you know, these days it's more of the um, familiarity and things like that. Uh, you know, just asking some questions and um, essentially the way I write them up or have them written up is, on a special sales contract and, you know, ask for like five day inspection period where, um, you know, it says, I'm not going to ask for any repairs. However, I just want a window of five days to, you know, to look at it and give it the A okay. And basically get under contract first. That's the objective or the goal is to secure the property. And once you secure the property, you can just stroll on over there and check it out. Um, yeah. No, but a good property, if you just stroll on there and check it out before you have it secured, it might not be there by the time you get back home. Right. All right. Um, Matt, talk about, let's talk about uh, being a realtor. And um, what are some advantages to being a realtor when you are in the investment game? Good question. I've got to give me a few minutes here. I've got to think of advantages. I'm just kidding. Uh, there's, you know, there's definitely advantages. I mean, you know, basically you're, you, you know, it's an opportunity to, to legally and ethically get, you know, um, inside information essentially, um, on, on the best deals. Um, you know, it amazes me the number of realtors out there that, that, you know, they, they, they put food on the table by, by, you know, listing and selling real estate, yet they, they don't take advantage of their position in terms of you know being able to save money on deals with your with your commission on the larger deals right not the five and ten thousand dollar ones um, you know being able to you know get that inside information the knowledge of the market and all that so um, I, I think it I think it definitely um, brings you a lot of pros because um, you know you've got access to the MLS access to the things that you need um, you know people are going to be bringing you deals and telling you you'll be hearing about them before anyone else. Um, the flip side or the downside is that, you know, if you're working with, this is what some people say, I haven't found it to be the case, you know, you're working with uh, Mrs. Smith, a little old lady down the street, and, you know, you're offering her 20000 bucks, and, you know, she could potentially get 40 somewhere else that puts you at risk. I mean, I, I don't see that as being a problem because you're always disclosing that, hey, I'm buying it. I'm an investor. I'm also a licensed agent. I may sell it in the future for profit. Sign here if you're okay with that. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't really see any downsides. Some people could, I mean, that is a risk that some people will will use for not getting their license. Um, being afraid of um, liability if they uh, are perceived as taking advantage of somebody. Um, but there's, there's ways to get around that, or not get around, but work through it. You fully disclose everything. And you tell the uh, you tell the seller that you're an investor and you're buying this property and you're going to resell it for a profit. Um, it doesn't hurt to disclose that stuff, and it won't hurt your chances of getting that house under contract either. No, they don't. You know, people don't expect you to do. Oh, you mean you're not going to take given the 12 hours you put into this deal and the money you're bringing to the table, you're actually going to turn a profit? I can't believe it. I mean, they don't. You know, 
people understand that we're all here working and trying to make it make a dollar, you know, um, yeah. you know, so that's, you know, now that doesn't mean there's not the odd case or the, you know, exception to the rule and all that stuff. It, it can certainly happen. But I think if you do the right thing, you're, you're going to be good to go. Matt, let's, um, let's talk marketing a little bit more because I see realtors do a lot of goofy things that <laughs> just makes me laugh. Um, you know, every realtor has to have some kind of, um, not every realtor, but a lot of them feel like they have to have to have some kind of fancy link. Or what do you call it? Like a um, something yeah, with like the, a you know slogan or something. Slogan like that, with know? their that has their name in it. Like if I was Joe McCall, right? I would have something like uh, I'll oh. sell your your <laughs> I'll sell your what you McCall at house. How about you know? call Joe McCall? Call Joe McCall, or I could have yeah. uh, I seen I saw a postcard of this a picture of a house with this giant realtor you know like several hundred feet tall standing <laughs> over the house saying call me to sell your house i'm on top of it oh, <laughs> i'm just yeah. thinking That's does that okay well have you been dreaming of that one joe sounds no, like you've been a, thinking about that I one i think it's all that one in the paper this morning i think <laughs> i think it's a great idea but okay uh, does that work is that why realtors do it, you know, or oh, answer that question. Then I have another question about what what are some good types of marketing that realtors can use to uh, get business. Great, great, great questions, and this is uh, you know right up right in my wheelhouse. I image advertising doesn't work, period, unless you are Coca Cola or Goodyear or somebody who has hundreds of millions of dollars to put into it. Image advertising, which is basically repeat exposure. You know, for the normal business owner, slash for the realtors or business owners, it, it doesn't work. It, you know, it doesn't work. What I would always focus on is direct response marketing. Yeah, I'm um, glad you're going there. I know where you're going. You know, if you can't, if if one can't track what you're doing, if one can't track the marketing dollars, then it's it's really not effective. In my opinion, it's not an effective use of money. Why do realtors do what they're doing? Well, I, in my opinion we're a copycat industry and what they do is, you know, Joe, let's say you're obviously a sharp and experienced guy, but let's just say you were just deciding, you know, you got laid off a little while back and you said, Hey, I've been thinking about this real estate thing and I want to get into it. You know, you're about to take your 24 hour, you'll be licensed next month. Uh, of course, we'll have you here at Keller Williams so we can help you grow your business. Um, and you know, the first thing, what most people do is they look around at what everyone else is doing. Mm -hmm. They say, oh, well, look at that. One realtor's got this sign. You know, they've got this advertisement in Holmes Magazine, and they're 50 feet tall on top of it. And it says, man, they can, you know, they're on top of it. And I see they're doing a lot of business. So, man, I should probably do that too. So yeah. what they do is they look around at the wrong people, which is pretty much most people are doing it not quite correctly, and they just emulate what they're doing. So that's mistake number one. Don't assume because a realtor is successful that they're successful because of whatever silly advertisement they have out there. Um I'd recommend not to spend a dime on marketing unless you can track where it's coming from and that it's actually working. And this stuff of, hey, uh, the ad rep says you've got to run it for four months before you get if you know, the market starts to recognize it. I mean, that is not true. Right. No different than Craig. It's even better now with Craigslist. It doesn't even cost you money. You, just got, you go to Craigslist, you can put an ad on there with an 800 number or drive it to a website with tracking capabilities, and we've got, we teach our agents to put ads up there, and within minutes to a couple of hours, you know whether your ad's going to work or not. And you, and can test, you can test multiple ads and see which one gives you the best results. That's right. Headlines a whole nine yards. So that's in Google AdWords, you know, uh, Facebook, 
you know, that's, it's, it's a, I mean, think about it back in the day, you have to create a sales letter or some sort of marketing campaign. That takes time. You get it all printed up, get it picked up from the printer, bring it to the, uh, you know, mail house. It gets mailed out. You know, your three week turnaround before you get any sort of results. Nowadays, man, you can, you can be sitting at a computer, man, I got it. What about this headline? And you post an ad and it works. And so that leads me to the point of the advantage to direct response, whether you're a realtor or a um, investor looking to target short sales or whatever it is, is you can scientifically engineer the results. You know, you can test, change one variable time, and you get your baseline. Hey, I'm getting a 5% response. You change the headline and you get a 7% response. Now that's your new control. Yeah. And then you just you keep plusing it, and essentially it's a, it's, it's a way to take spend invest a dollar and get a dollar one back, a dollar two back, a dollar five back, and that to me is the name of the game. Can you give an example of direct response marketing that a realtor could use? Or a couple yeah, of I mean, examples. The easiest thing, yeah, I mean, I would say the easiest thing in terms of direct response um, and real prevalent these days is just setting up an 800 number. So direct, direct response is going to be a call to action. Um, become a VIP buyer and beat other buyers to the hottest new listings. Visit, you know, uh, stlouisvipbuyer.com. Uh-huh. And then you're driving them to a landing page that's basically, developed, you know, adds on to that same ad, you know, concept. You're not driving them to your main website where they got to search. I mean, you lost them, forget about it. They're on the next thing. You got to put them right on the right landing page. Or as I started to say with the 800 number, you could say uh, the same ad, put an 800 number with a specific four-digit ID or three-digit, depending on your system. And what I would recommend in that example in terms of tracking is let's say you run become a VIP buyer, beat other buyers to the hottest new listings. You run one on Craigslist, one in your local paper, and one in the other local paper. Same ad, same verbiage on the recording. You just put each one has its own unique code. And again, let's say you get 10 leads that come in. Without the coding system, you don't know where those leads came from. Yeah. So the coding system, you got one from the one paper, one from the other paper, and eight from Craigslist, which was free. Do you think you're probably, you know, where you're going to spend your money or not, you know, where you're going to focus your time moving forward? Right. So direct response is a call to action. You drive them to a thing where they can make an immediate, and you can capture their information, and um, you've got a lead, and then it's all about getting to them as soon as possible and do an effective follow-up uh, script. You know, here's a million-dollar idea that I wish I could say I came up with. But I got this from, uh, there's a podcast out there called I Love Marketing. Have you heard of that, Matt? I haven't, but I think I'm going to write it down. It's uh, it Joe, Joe Polish and Dean Jackson. Oh, yeah. I know Joe Polish, yeah. Well, these guys are just brilliant um, direct response marketers. And uh, they, uh, it's very good. And, and no matter what your industry you're in, what you're, what you're trying to buy or, or what you're trying to sell, uh, it's a great podcast. But anyway, I got this idea from them. And... and uh, I was thinking, man, if I was a realtor, this is what I would do. They, te- they talk about this. And uh, if you're a realtor out there and you have a billboard sign and you have your big picture up there uh, with, your, you know, with your two or three kids that work for you behind you as you're sitting mm-hmm. on some luxurious chair. Or, whatever. or there's, a, the there's, a, there's a billboard around here somewhere with this, with this lady who's driving a, on a motorcycle. And it has, I forget the slogan, but it has something to do with I'll sell your house as fast as a motorcycle or something. But anyway, <laughs> um, if if they could just take that billboard and and maybe you can keep your picture up there, that's fine, you know, whatever. But put on there something like, go to this website to get a free report on how to sell your house fast, or text five five nine nine six 
or text this word to this number. You know, there's those there's those text messaging systems, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, or go to this website or call this number for a free recorded message to get a free report on what homes are selling for in St. Charles County or what what the value of your home might be. But you offer some kind of free valuable report or bonus to these people. They would see their these realtors would see their response rates just go through the roof. Right now, all they're doing is giving a phone number and maybe a website on these billboards, and then and then talking about how great they are, right, or how how awesome yep. I am and how quickly I can sell your house. But if you could offer, turn that around. And this goes for postcards. This goes for direct mail, internet marketing. If you want to do yellow pages ads, or if you've got to dial into this issue, this topic of direct response marketing. Throw out a carrot. In fact, I was just taking notes. Oh, I don't have it open with me. Um, exactly. I was watching this uh, video this morning. I'll try to open it up while I'm talking here. But um, I was taking notes here of what, how, how you can create this irresistible offer. So the, the, you have to focus on the carrot. Um, here it is. Uh, understand the ultimate result the end buyer, the end customer is after. Okay. So you got to understand there's people out there that want to sell their house. So you got to think about what do they want. Think about that ultimate result that they want. Remember, it's not about you. Give away Everyone something. Everyone listens to one, one radio station, WIFM, what's in it for me? And if you're not constantly answering that question, that, you know, let me let them in a little bitty secret that might hurt some people's feelings, but breathe through it, it'll be okay. They don't care about you, yep. the realer. They don't. They don't care how many homes you sold. They don't care about any of that stuff. They don't care that you're the number one in the area and so are 14 other people. You know, they care. That's great. How does that apply to me and how are you going to help me achieve my personal goals? Exactly. So you're hitting the nail on the head, Joe, which is take it, you know, and again, this is, you know, I know you've got a, you've got a great group of investors here and we're talking real estate, but same concept, which is universal business concepts. It's not about you. It's about what you can do for them or what you can provide for them. And, and the, the game, essentially, the way I look at it, is they've got information. It's all, you know, it's all about a lead. You've got to capture their name and a way to contact them, phone number, email, or what have you. And you've got to make an offer that, that entices them to give up what they don't want to give you, which is their information. Yep. And basically, there's a tipping point, and you've got to make a compelling enough offer that you can fulfill. You just don't go making stuff up. You've got to be able to fulfill it. And the name of the game is, you know, wow, that's something I want. I don't know about you guys, but I've been on sites where I, you know, I'm looking at stuff and following up, and then they ask me for my information. I sit there and I think, all right, now do I want this enough to give them my email and you know get on their autoresponder and all that stuff? And sometimes it's yes, and sometimes it's no. Well, you're absolutely right. And the worst thing you can do is try to close them on the first contact. It's like trying to um, kiss somebody on your first date. You know what I mean? All right? Yeah. You, you you just can't do it. You need to soften them up a little bit. Well, understanding the ultimate result that the customer wants and then give away something in your ad, in your billboard, in your postcard that actually helps them get closer to that end result. And you realize then when you do that, you get, some, you get their information, you follow them up with some valuable, helpful information. Some people will become customers immediately, but others will need time to be followed up with. And I just, I know if these realtors that I see who do this kind of advertising, if they, you know, even at the grocery stores, they have their things right there on the, where you uh, scan mm -hmm. your card and stuff. Um, yep. There's people that have their phones just right there in their hands or inches away in their pocket. 
all they would need to do is send a quick text message to a number and get a and get a free report on something that they could do and not asking for anything in return just here we want to give you something valuable it's very cheap and inexpensive to do that um, so I think it's important that the the um, knowing who your ideal customer is and making them an offer that they can't refuse and then having a response mechanism system set up that you can follow up with them automatically that stuff is really easy to build. So I don't know how I got on that t topic, but um, maybe if you're a realtor out there, hopefully that, that is uh, triggering, triggering some kind of uh, excitement in you because um, direct response marketing is really, really good. When you're, whether you're looking for listings or whether you're looking for sellers and you're wanting to buy their house, don't talk about how many houses you buy or how quickly you can buy them. Talk about what's in it for them. Go ahead, Matt. Let's make it applicable to your listeners. You know, I mean, you know, if you're wholesaling properties or, or doing any sort of buying a real estate, you know, at some point in time, you're looking to sell. I know what most investors, they want to do is build a, a buyer list, correct? Yeah. You know, so it's real simple. Same concept, which is, uh, you know, uh, go to Adam, put an ad on Craigslist, um, a free weekly list of wholesale properties or distressed properties or free list of, um, you know, short sale and foreclosures in your given area. And, um, you know, I've done that as well. And basically you just run that ad each week and you build up your buyer list and it's the mm -hmm. same, same exact concept. Um, you know, and you, I could just think of a number of different examples along those same lines. Um, you know, you want to offer something of value, a free list of properties is always good. Um, obviously that's for buyers on the sell side, whether you're talking about investors or, or retail, you know, people generally want to know what their home is worth. Or obviously some sort of cash offer or something along those lines, but um, yeah, sorry, I just got a little excited there. Well, that's uh, easy way to build a buyer list. Now, you're in a position, Matt, where you can teach your folks at Keller Williams this stuff, um, and I do. Yeah. And so I'm I, I I'm glad that you are because uh, you understand something that a lot of investors and realtors don't. You understand the importance and power of direct response marketing. And you know what, guys, direct mail still works. Yellow pages still work. Um, it's, it's not like all of that old stuff that you think is not uh, relevant anymore. Don't think that that stuff doesn't work. It, it still really does. Um, I'd argue direct mail works better than, than, than it has because of the fact that, when, I mean, think about just, just when you go home and get your mail. I mean, you have more mail or less mail than you used to. Oh, less. So there's less competition. So Exactly. It's less competition in, in, in that market, so to speak, in your mailbox. And so things stand out because people don't want to spend an extra eight cents to mail a stamp these days or mail whatever. They'd rather email it, which, you know, I don't even know. I'm no, I don't know email numbers, but I'm sure a large percentage of them never make through. Um, I don't know much, but I do know that it's very difficult to sell something or generate a lead if your prospect never actually sees the offer. Well, that's good. And uh, we all know what works, what kind of postcards works well for investors. And they're sending postcards to sellers. Um, and I know this is what Alex uses, and this is what I use. It's a plain uh, postcard on white or yellow paper that's just tapped some kind of typewritten font, uh, nothing fancy with a bold headline that's personalized. It has a name and an address. And uh, it has a, uh, a what's in it for you um, message. You have a house that's uh, exactly. stressing you out we'd like to buy it and we can close quickly and give you cash make it fast and easy for you um, and then you have some kind of um, carrot you know go to our website to get a free report call us to listen to a, 
free pre-recorded message, um, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just a, it's a plain, uh, and Alex, I know you've tested this. You've tested the glossy postcards with colors and graphics. And how did those turn out for you? Oh, yeah. I tested vanity numbers. I and a vanity number, obviously, is like a 1-800-GOT-JUNK. So if you've seen those, you'd say, oh, wow, it would be really nice to have a number like that. But I, I've tested vanity numbers. I've tested glossy postcards. I've tested TV commercials uh, where I was actually in the commercial and, and tried, you know, branding efforts and things like that, but nothing seems to work better than direct mail and directly um, targeting what you want rather than sending out a broad shotgun method. Right. So Matt, talk about what, what what's a good example of a card that a realtor would send who's looking for some listings or looking for some retail buyers. And there's a lot of realtors listening to this, even though we're mainly targeted to investors, and I appreciate your perspective on this. No problem. No problem. I'll give you my the three prong approach that I use and teach is uh, it's a simple one. Um, maybe a little more than you asked for, but I want to make sure we're being complete here. Yeah. Um, one is running small classified advertisements in the classified section of the paper. Um, typically speaking, people who are not, I mean, who, who's looking generally speaking in, in whatever classified section is, who's, who's typically looking in the classified section? Somebody looking for a job Buyer, or looking for a buyers car? Or, buyers or, buyers or, or, or people who don't buy? Buyers. Yeah, I mean, you know, very few people just casually read for entertainment on Sunday, you know, uh, classified. So you want to put those, like we talked about, um, you know, a free list of, uh, be, you know, become a VIP buyer, beat other buyers with the best new listings, or find out what the home down the street sold for. Call my 800 number. So the message is going to be the same. The medium is going to change. Now, the advantage to doing that is that you get a lot of leads and you get people who are, who are in close to the purchasing process. The downside of that is because they're close to making a purchase, they generally have, more often than not, they're going to have a relationship with the realtor. So a lot of times you might be too late to the party. Okay. That's, so that's, but that gives you media business. That's now, now business. Um, if, if you're a realtor out there and you're looking to make money today, I'd recommend running classified ads or Craigslist ads focusing on first-time buyers. They don't have a house to sell. They usually need to be somewhere fairly quickly. And whatever you're showing them, is going to be better than the apartment that they're in. Uh, another one which your, your um, listeners may or may not be familiar with is more of an editorial style advertisement approach. And that's going to be um, something that would mimic a, uh, a, a article within a paper um, blended into the surroundings, um, looking as almost like a uh, community service type thing. Right. You know, free report reveals 27 common home repairs every seller needs to make prior to listing their home. Yeah. And then at the end, as you've been talking about, it's about driving them to a free report. Um, advantage of that is these are people who are not actively looking. They just have it in the back of their mind when they come across this, oh, yeah, I'm thinking about doing something. This is laying a pipeline for future buyers. So you got classified for now buyers. You drive a pipeline um, for the editorial ads. Again, they're going to be further out in the process. The good news is because they're further out, they don't have a relationship, again, more often than not, and then you can build that relationship. Um, the third part, and the one we haven't talked about yet, um, and I think it's critical, and I think your investors can use it as well, is, is if you, when you do advertise yourself as a realtor, because you you know, you got to do that, you know, you don't want to say, I'm standing above the crowd or any of those silly things, or I'm number one. That just means nothing these days. How many people say, I'm best, I'm this? I mean, it's, it falls on deaf ears. 
Right. You got to deliver a unique selling proposition. In other words, why should someone list or work with you versus doing it themselves, working with a competitor of yours, or doing nothing at all? And and ideally, you want to be able to answer that question in a clear and concise manner in you know two to three sentences. So. What I used to utilize is um, pretty simple. Um, I work my way up to this, but a person would say, you know, why should I list my home with you? And I'd say, well, there's a lot of reasons, you know, that my clients like to use me um, and work with me. Um, although the one that I think they um, enjoy the most is the fact that if I don't get your home sold at a price acceptable to you, I'll buy it myself for cash. Then typically they're like, yeah, that's a, pr- that's a pretty good one. Um, and I'd say, yeah, that's, you know, but uh, let's say I bought two of them, so you know I do 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 that. Um, so as far as going back to your original question about the postcard, I'd say for investors, you know, um, you know if they're putting properties out to private homeowners, I would say just a different version of that. What's called guaranteed sale is hey, um, guaranteed cash offer on your property within 24 hours. I like that. You know, because you're looking, that's going to sniff out motivated people. Um, and basically, again, postcards just along those lines. Um, for buyers, you could say, um, we'll guarantee, um, and again, why would you, let me just, just do a disclaimer here that always check with your board, your local real estate commission, your laws are going to be different around the country, um, and just make sure that, you know, in, in Missouri, all this stuff is on the legal and up and up. However, there's, there's a certain way you've got to advertise it, so we always want to do what's, you know, it's learn early on it's much easier to do it the right way and be in compliance than, than to try to be creative just right. do it the right way it's not going to affect your response or anything like that um but one for buyers could be hey um we guarantee you five percent off the sale of any property or we'll pay you 2500 bucks wow. you know something along those lines um you're not happy you know home sale guarantee home buyer guarantee if you're not happy with your home for any reason within the first 12 months we'll buy it back from you or sell it for you for free Cool. So any of those are good, you know, good ones. Right, right. Have you heard of a um, of a resource called Instant Customer, Matt? You know what? I don't believe I have. I might have heard of it, but I don't know. I don't know much about. It. I don't know anything about it. Well, it's it's really interesting, and I was just looking at this website recently, um, and and Alex, you might be interested in it as well. And it's a great resource for follow up with people. And it combines text messaging, emails, social media, and direct mail all into one platform. So you get somebody to, for instance, you can say, send a text message to 314-da-da-da-da-da and give me your name and email to get a free report on how to do something. And then the system will automatically uh, store that information, right? Send them a text message back and thank them for it. And then start a correspondence. You could set it up where it starts a correspondence with them. And it asks questions. You could ask them questions like, um, you know, are you looking for a home, yes or no? And they can respond to these questions and it interacts with them. The other thing it does then, it takes their, their email and their phone number. Now you have that information in their database. And the system will automatically send them the free report or the video that you uh, offered to give them. Um, and it also then, since it has their name and phone number and email, it can go in and get their social media information. And, and wow. maybe this spooks some people out, but it can go in and get what your Facebook is, so you can go and friend them, your, their LinkedIn, their Twitter, 
um, whatever else they belong to, and it can get you that information, and you can send them a friend request. Um, and if it can, it'll pull up their um, their mailing address. So you can actually um, mail them a postcard or mail them a thank you letter, a uh, follow-up letter, or something like that. But it also combines... Um, it, it, it's a pretty amazing system that, that uses, takes in a... You try to get a little bit of information in exchange for a free report, and then it gives you a bunch of more information and allows you to schedule follow-up sequences by email, by text messaging, by voicemail. Well, the other thing it does, um, there's a system called Slide Dial, S-L-Y-D-I-A-L, slidedial.com, and it's been around since 2007, but what it does is it allows you to call somebody's cell phone and leave them a voicemail without their phone ringing. So if you wanted to call somebody and just leave them a message, you can use this through Slide Dial. It's a free tool, but you can get a premium of it. Well, this thing does the same things. Once you have their phone number, it will leave them. It'll leave them an automatic message that you've pre-recorded onto their voicemail. And so you can set it all up. But it's amazing. And I just found this the other day, and I was thinking about this kind of a uh, having that kind of a sequence or a follow-up system with sellers, with cash buyers, with investors. Mm. Um, can really be powerful if used properly. Um, you know, there's studies that show this website was saying that your response, you, you're 22 more times likely to get a new customer if you respond and follow up with them within five minutes of when you get that information. No, no question. But, no question. but uh, check that out. It, I have no, I've not used it. Full disclaimer, I have no, I, I don't even know if it works, but I was looking at it and I was really impressed with what it offers. It's instantcustomer.com. And, um, it sounds, it sounds amazing. What's cool about that for your listeners who are maybe a one person show, you know, that's the beauty of technology, man, is that these days you can, you know, just like I heard you guys at the top of the call, you're leveraging out to virtual assistants, you know, 70% of your business or what have you, the tasks and things like that. I mean, this is unbelievable. You know, that's, that's how a one individual, you know, without an assistant or any of those things can, you know, become highly leveraged and essentially what you're describing there, Joe, is a system that automatically sifts and sorts the prospects. You know, they're opting in uh -huh. or opting out of these certain things. And at the end of the, uh, what pops up the other end of the funnel is, is, you know, a pretty well qualified individual that's likely to fit what you're looking for. Right. And now you have their information. If you have a property or a special deal, you can blast out, not blast, but send it out to everybody. Um, and, you know, you may have a seller who's just semi-interested in selling their house, but if the system sends them a, a special report or just touches base with them, reaches out and touches them every month, every two months, um, a lot of deals will come from that. I mean, I know that from my own experience, trying to do all that on my own. Um, so anyway, enough about that. We're getting, we're getting close to the end here, Matt. We sure appreciate your time. Um, talk a little bit about Keller Williams. Would you, why do you like Keller Williams, or do you? <laughs> And uh, talk talk about that, would you? Yeah, man. Um, you know, there's no doubt. I'm I'm obviously a huge fan. Um, I was always kind of jokingly say I'm a little I'm a little I believe we have the best training, the best education. Now I'm a little biased, but that doesn't mean I'm wrong. Um, you know, when going back to the top of my story, when I was worked for a year and, and didn't you know didn't generate any income um, to speak of, uh, can laugh at it, but never really need to speak of. But, you know, I was kind of reinventing the wheel on my own essentially, and and. What, where I really turned the corner was um, by focusing on models and systems. In other words, people had gone before me and had left you know, clues, a, a story on how they got it done. 
And really what we call those are just models and systems. And I started to do well, and then where it took off and I grew exponentially, my business and income was when I uh, joined a coaching group related to that. So I'm an absolute huge believer in training, education, and coaching, um, period. It's, you know, you're, you're buying time. I mean, I remember yeah. it was a $1,000 a month coaching program, 12000 at the time. I probably couldn't afford it. I know I couldn't. You know, I opted to do it anyway, and within six months, I made 200000 bucks. I mean, is that a good return on my twelve grand? without question? Yeah. Um, so going back to Keller Williams, I absolutely love it. And, again, the reason is because we're basically a training and education company that people say kind of tongue-in-cheek is cleverly disguised as a real estate sales company. So our emphasis is really on training and education of our associates and, you know, um, getting them into production quickly and um, really focusing on dollar productive activities and then continuing to train on the given areas, whatever they may be, um, you know, depending on person's niche or what have you, and really working towards mastery. So um, as far as Keller Williams, it's great. We've got training, you know, geared towards different phases of one's business. We call Launching agents who are either getting their license or doing up to two million—that's a launching agent. We've got training specifically geared for them. At that point in time, you know, when they're moving up to the three to six million dollar range, um, that's growth phase, and we've got training specific for that level of business. From the seven to twelve million, usually about six seven million for most people at that level, in terms of six seven million in sales volume. That's when they start to run out of time during. Okay. And they just, you know, it's like, I don't know how I can sell another thing or do another thing. I don't have, if I didn't even sleep, I would not be able to get any more done. Well, that's where we start introducing the concept of leverage and, um, you know, leveraging out your 80%, your less productive, you know, activities and freeing your time up to generate more business and, you know, making it rain. That's why they call them rainmakers. And then, you know, we've got uh, written curriculum all the way up to $200 million in volume with uh, game plans for people to replace themselves at the highest level and have that business continue to run. Um, and the, and the uh, rainmaker gets an override on the deal. Yeah. So I love that about it. And one other thing just to throw in there, Joe, is that, you know, it's really, uh, we've got a leadership development. So it's not just about selling real estate. It's about, you know, developing leaders and, um, you know, improving their life and basically teaching people how to create, uh, a business that funds your perfect life rather than your business consuming your life. Well, the other big plus with Keller Williams, and I'm looking at your book right now, The Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Keller, Gary Keller. Oh, yeah. um, very oh, yeah, investor-friendly real estate company. And, um, yeah. I mean, if you look at the some of the guys that he features in this book, uh, these are guys that do lease options, they do subject twos, they do short sales, they do very, very creative type of real estate investing and um, you know Keller Williams is uh, I, at least here in St. Louis I know almost every full-time investor that I know here that has a uh, license has it with Keller Williams and it's a it's a very investor friendly broker yeah we encourage that. that's about building wealth uh, for sure and one last thing to that note uh, uh, last book that's one of the books in a series the last book I think your listeners will appreciate this uh, is coming out in that series called hold and it's all about you know buying and holding real estate. That's uh, they're doing a big tour coming up this summer, later this summer. So uh, everyone be on the lookout for that. That book is coming out here in the next few months. And um, you know it's uh, MREI is like the Bible. It's a great one. Um, and the hold is I'm assuming is going to be excellent as well. That that would probably would be a good book study to do for our podcast because 
Um, I, while we were talking just a minute ago, I got a text message from a friend who said to me, Joe, uh, let me know uh, more information about these properties that you have that you're selling, that cash flow. Um, I have international buyers from Asia that are very interested, and they've come to me asking me for help in finding them deals. A week ago, I had a, Canada, a buyer from Canada call me. He had a question about my wholesaling lease options product. But I started talking to him, and he's flying to Phoenix, Arizona every two to three weeks to manage and um, rehab his rental properties. And because I asked him, why are you doing that? And he said, well, I don't have anybody that I know and trust um, there in Phoenix. And I said to him, well, what if I could get you deals that have better numbers than that and have property management in place and contractors that I know and trust, you wouldn't have had any interest in that, would you? And he was very excited. He said, I would actually. That is awesome. Yeah. Um, so I see the next trend, and this is already happening. It's not a trend, but there is a ton of money coming back into the market now internationally uh, from California, from these other states where they can't buy cash flowing properties in. And they're coming mm -hmm. looking for cash flow properties. They feel like the, the prices have bottomed out. And if you want to make a lot of money wholesaling deals, you should seriously look at getting properties, fixing them up, putting a tenant in there, getting property management in place, and then selling those things turnkey. And uh, you can Package. make very good money um, selling those deals and still leave a lot of good money on the table for the investor that's looking to buy it. No question. And just shameless plug here. If your listeners have interest in doing that in the St. Louis area, although I'm not personally actively listing and selling property, I've got uh, 450 agents. And yeah. you know I know which ones their strengths are in the different areas. And if you guys have interest, um, you can feel free to um, you know contact us. Uh, in a minute here, maybe we'll give a website, but we'd love to help you out. Um, you know, Joe, if you get your resources there, man, I know you're, yeah. you're very well, you know, uh, wired, so to speak, and, and, you know, just got to have an unbelievable system, um, going here in St. Louis and, well, what, and I know you're, uh, what you is know. the way people can get a hold of you, Matt, or do you have a website or phone number? Yeah, our, I'm going to just throw a couple different websites out there. Our, our, just, uh, one of my company websites is kwchesterfield.com. Kwchesterfield.com. Dot com. Yeah, and they can just, you know, put us an email or contact us through there. Um, if you're interested in maybe looking at uh, exploring a, a career in real estate, whether it's here in St. Louis or anywhere um, in the United States, go to redcareers.com, redcareers.com, and on the right-hand side, you just scroll down to St. Louis, and uh, we're there in, in Chesterfield as well. And uh, if anyone likes, uh, they can shoot me an email at matt, M-A-T-T, Shreves, S-H-R, E-V as in Victor, E-S, at kw.com, Matt Shreves at kw.com. Good. We'll have that information on the uh, show notes on the website, everybody, if you missed that. Um, so, Matt, thank you so much for your time. You know what? I actually have one more question for you. We always ask this of our guests. Um, real quick, if you were dropped in a new city, you didn't know anybody, you, you needed to start making money, um, and you need to start doing deals, what would you start doing immediately in this new city that you're in? That's a good question, Joe. Um, in terms of finding properties, I think I'm just going to stick with what I said earlier in, in today's market. You know, uh, I just I, I would be going to foreclosures. Um, 
through the MLS. So I think like anything else, it's it's about relationships. And, you know, as we just mentioned, Joe, you're you've got a great system going here. You've got your contractors, your your you get deals coming in. So, you know, uh, get into some groups and things like that and network and find, you know, get in you know, get in opportunities way is what I say. And that means, you know, hang around with and try to develop some relationships with people who already are all wired and set up. You know, I'm sure, Joe, you know where to get, you know, uh, money and, you know, different things like that, private money, and uh, find somebody who's already got it all wired and develop a relationship with them. Good. Um, you know, that's what I'd recommend. Start finding buyers, start building a network, start building relationships with other active realtors, um, and start making offers on properties. No, no, no. Assuming you got the money, I go to the MLS and start firing offers out on, uh, you know, on uh, low-dollar property that just needs a little carpet and paint. Good. Good, Alex. Do you have anything before we end this? I, I thought it was a really good call. Um, I just uh, the one thing um, I was going to talk to him about. I don't know if real quick if you can address about um, when to. Uh, I guess know when to hold them and know when to fold them when you're uh, selling real estate on the back end where you're trying to get that extra couple thousand dollars to. That's that's a good point, Matt. Do you have just a minute to answer that kind of question? Yeah, you bet. yeah. You know, we we touched base on this a little bit before we get going to the call here. Um, so let me ask a question, um, Alex. What what is? Do you have a particular feeling or contention about it, or you do you, do you, you know do you uh, have a feeling one way or the other, or 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 not? Well, I, yeah, I kind of think um, that if you dig in for those, those last couple thousand dollars, and you, or if it's four or five thousand dollars, and it's over ten different deals, and and you know you fold them and you know fold up and 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 basically say, okay, I'm gonna take the offer. You're missing out on potentially fifty thousand dollars over the course of a year. <laughs> so you're talking um, about Alex. If you have, I'm sorry, Matt. But Alex, you're talking about if you have a property that uh, you're trying to sell. And you get an offer that's four or five thousand dollars less than your asking price. When should you stick to your guns and be adamant about what you're asking for, or when should you? Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. What 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 have you seen over? You know, you've got four hundred agents under you. That's in, that's incredible. Um, you know, with your with the deals, I'm sure you've you've got people representing um, rehabbers that are selling deals, and yeah, no even new construction buyers and stuff like that. What have what have you seen? I mean, here's what I would say to to that is is, and I was the way I always approach it is, as opposed to me telling a client what to do, I always present the pros and present the cons, and then let them make an educated and informed decision based on you know that information, you know, I, and and the standard answer in anything dealing with real estate, and I think you guys would agree, is it depends. It um, depends. That, yes. <laughs> that doesn't necessarily do your listeners any good, so I want to take it a step further. I, I think number one, I, I think realtors. Uh, probably like most people in life, the biggest, you know, the person who costs realtors the most money is themselves. Their opinion is what gets them in trouble. And a lot of realtors, you know, um, won't, you know, as an example, let's say property comes, uh, you got a property listed and an offer comes in low, you know, I'm not even going to present that. Well, I mean, legally you have to, number one. But the thing is, the objective is not to get them the best deal or the most money. I mean, of course, that's, that's you have fiduciary duty to do that. However, it's to secure the deal. So with that said, um, I think it depends. You're talking about going over a few thousand bucks. I think if you've got lots of interest, you're early on the market, I think you can you know, afford to be firm. Um, I think that if you are 
um, you know, the downside or flip side to holding with your guns and getting that extra 2000 bucks is that they may walk. And then if you're dealing with carrying costs, your money's tied up and all those things, it might be two, three, four more months, heck, even 30 days, you know, before you get another viable offer. And if your capital is turned, you know, tied up, we talked about the velocity of money, you know, did you really save any money? You, 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 you held out for the 2000 and let's say in theory you didn't get it because you held out for it, you know, if your money's tied up, what, what good are you doing there? Now, the flip side is, as you point out, uh, Alex, I think it's a great point, which is, hey, let's not think uh, from a one transaction basis. You know, if you're doing 5, 10, 15 deals a year and you extrapolate that over a year or years, then, you know, yeah, every, um, you know, every dime counts. I'm just a big proponent of don't, you know, pick over, pick, don't step over dollars to pick up pennies. Obviously, you want to get the most you can, um, but like when I'm rep- when I'm buying properties, when I get close to my target zone, me personally, I, I just secure it um, hmm. for me because, you know, if my number is 15000 on a house and, you know, I get to fifteen five. um you know, to me, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to move forward on that personally, because I, I know that in about two years, two and a half years, I've got my money back and I'm going, um, you know, but again, everyone's a little different. I don't know. Is that, is that a good answer? Is that not clear? Is that no, clear? I mean, no, what are your thoughts? yeah, that definitely makes sense. I mean, I, I pretty much, um, would go with, it depends, you know, it's, it, it's, unfortunately that's the answer, um, you know, to a lot of things with real estate in this situation, um, the question is, are you, am I fighting for dollars where we may even be struggling um, at appraisal time, you know, where you're going to have to really try right. to justify your right. number on the back end? You might be fighting for fake money, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the other thing on that is it's, you know, there's so many different ways there's terms and there's price. So maybe, you know, um, it's, uh, let me think of the right, let me get confused here. You know, if let's say they do, you, 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 let's say you agree to the two thousand. You know, as this in this example, you know, um, you agree as a seller to not take that two thousand. way I'm looking at it is, man, you know, I'm not going to be very flexible when it comes to inspections. You know, because you, you you nailed me on price. Right. If, you know, if they pay the last dollar, then you know I'm going to be a little more flexible in terms of those repairs, and that's kind of you know. So again, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, I would say the overarching thing, in my opinion, is secure the deal. Because without that, you get nothing. Yeah, that's right. You're right. You're uh, you've got you've got absolutely nothing when, <laughs> yeah, if you if if you don't secure that deal, that's for sure. Well, Matt, um, this has been very very informative. I've enjoyed this call. It's gone a little longer than I expected. I we it. might mix yeah. split this up into two. Um, but, I appreciate uh, you guys uh, uh, asking me, and I learned a lot just on the call myself. Uh, you know, I've been following you guys here, and I've been reading those reviews, and I love reading them. There's a lot of almost overwhelmingly all just home run reviews. So you guys are doing some great stuff, doing doing great stuff. Uh, and I just appreciate you uh, giving an opportunity to to share some insight, and hopefully it, uh, it spoke to a few people out there, and hopefully they can benefit from it and take that some of these concepts and ideas that we discussed today and turn it into uh, revenue because that's the name of the game. Exactly. If you're listening to this, the, the, the secret sauce to all of this is the speed of implementation, right? We, we shared some things with you. The worst thing you can do is think, oh, that's just great. Uh, I'll write that down and, and look at it later. Uh, you need to start implementing this stuff. If you got a good idea, something that you learned on these podcasts, 
Just get off your tush, get up and do it. The most successful people in this business that I know are the ones who are quick to implement what they learn. And so just think about that. Um, Agreed. Get off your butt. <laughs> no, it's very important. If you don't do nothing, you're going to have exactly what you have right now. Nothing. <laughs> yep, yep. All right, Matt. Thanks, everybody. Go to realestateinvestingmastery.com, and you'll get to the show notes. And we talked about some websites and links here, and I'll try to put those in the show notes. We also have that Fast Cash Survival Kit. And uh, Matt's a great friend of mine. I highly recommend him if you're thinking about getting your license. Um, even if you're in another city or another state, uh, contact Matt. Matt will put you in touch with a good Keller Williams office in your area. Yep. That's investor-friendly. Uh, so contact Matt. He'll put you in touch with somebody that um, that you can talk to to get some more questions answered and things like that. So uh, thanks again. We'll talk to you guys later. It's a pleasure, guys. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you. Alex. Thank you.